Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady and Martin Paloma. Welcome into another edition of Mind on My Money podcast. I'm your host, Neil McCrady. I'm in the Clark Ford Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. My uh, colleague back from like a four-week vacation. I don't know. I guess when you work at Pinnacle Trust, you just take like these massive time breaks and you just disappear <laughs> off to like islands or something. Ouch. And, and for the record, I, I went to no islands. You can continue. Martin Palomo joins us. He's tanned and rested after his four-week vacation in San Diego or La Jolla or wherever. He went because it's, <laughs> life life is so hard for uh, for Martin. So Martin, welcome welcome back into the real world. Welcome back into civilization. It's it's nice to talk to you. Great. So now I feel like I have to explain and justify. This. No, I mean, hey, <laughs> I mean, if, if you're, I was not on, I was not on vacation. If your no, bosses but, send you on two week pay, two month paid vacation to San Diego. I mean, good for you. It's, it's I just I need to ask for six six months next time. Yeah. I mean, no, it was. Uh, it does feel like I've been gone for a while. Uh, we did. I did have two conferences, um, kind of back to back. One of them was um, for independent financial advisors. It's kind of like the Woodstock of you know for financial advisors. It was you know four thousand, five thousand advisors from all over the country that are independent wealth advisors um, that are not affiliated with you know any one of the big firms um, that are really just trying to take care of their their clients. Um, and it was, it was a really good opportunity to, to, you know, steal ideas from people from across the country and then visit with vendors and tech firms to figure out, you know, are there things we can be doing better? But so that was a, that was a good trip, man. I learned how to surf while I was there. Um, my son and I went to, uh, we actually did go on vacation last week. We took a dude's trip and he likes to surf. Of course he's 15 and I'm feel like after I went surfing, I felt like I was 85. Um, but we had a lot of, man, we had a lot of fun. Uh, it was, it was a good trip. I'd never done just a guy's trip with Christopher. So it was kind of a, you know, we didn't have an agenda. Uh, we did, as you guys, I think we've talked about, I'm a huge star Wars nerd. And, uh, so we did go, we went to Orlando to see the new star Wars park, um, at Disney. And then we went surfing, uh, in Florida. So it was, a, it was a good time, man. But yeah, it was, I was, I was traveling a good bit, but I'm happy to be back in my own bed. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. We're going to get to our, our guest today, uh, Clayton Wall, who's in technology sales and advertising for AT&T. We're going to talk uh, about a number of topics with Clayton in a minute. First, let me tell you about Clark Ford. Uh, I'll make it quick. 662-257-1900 is the number. Here's what you get when you get Clark Ford. You get Number one, you get a great Ford product. It's as simple as that. You, you get a great Ford product. Uh, what you also get is beyond the norm 
uh, customer service after the sale. I'll give you an example. My daughter Campbell, who is a freshman at the University of Arkansas, is home for Thanksgiving break. We have known for a little while that this would be a good week for her to get her car serviced. And so we kind of set it up. And sure enough, this morning, uh, Clark Ford shows up here in Oxford. They bring a swap out car and they take her car back to Amory to be serviced today. They're going to make sure that the tires are, are good. Oil, t- oil is good. All of that stuff. Going to give the car a run through so that I'll have the peace of mind on Sunday when she drives back to Fayetteville that her car is uh, equipped to get her there safely. Not all car dealers do that for you. Clark Ford does. 662-257-1900. If you think you are in the market for a vehicle or if you uh, think you are going to be in the market for a vehicle at some point, give Corey a call. Ask for a quote. He's going to give you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's that simple. It's right to the bottom line. You can go from there. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before we get started, tell the people out there why they should be getting in touch with you all at Pinnacle Trust at Pintrust.com. Appreciate you, Neil. Um, man, it's, it feels like it's been a while since we've done this. I think I've, I've almost forgotten how the flow of this all works. But, uh, man, it's it's good to be back. It's good to be back recording as well. I'm excited about Clayton being here. Um, but, yeah, for, you know, Pinnacle was started you know, 22, 23 years ago by Stacy, really trying to to do things different, to service clients in a, in a manner that was different than what was going on in our, in our industry at the time. And, and he's really kind of been ahead of the ball and ahead of the curve, um, you know, for, for both, for both decades and, and how we take care of clients. And, you know, a lot of folks, uh, and it's really a lot in the news now, especially with a couple of the bigger firms going to, you know, cutting their fees and cutting their, uh, trade expenses down to zero. Um, you know, the, a lot of the firms, the bigger firms, um, it kind of, you know, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle. It feels like, you know, you're just getting sold a cookie cutter, uh, solution and they're just trying to rake in as much cash as they possibly can. Where, you know, when Stacy started our firm, uh, he really designed the firm to align our client interests and our interests together. So, you know, when our clients do well, we do well. And when, and when our clients, uh, don't do well, you know, it, the same for us as well. So we're on the same side of the table with our clients always. So it puts, you know, what, if we can talk selfishly, what's in our best interest is in our client's best interests. Uh, but one of the things that we're really good at is, uh, is solving the, the, the puzzle pieces. And I know I keep using that phrase nearly every time we, we talk, but that really is, uh, the best way to describe it because life is a bunch of scattered pieces of a puzzle and our job is really um, to design and, and put put the puzzle together with our clients so um, you know whether it's retirement uh, figuring out where you've got it if you have enough saved or if you need to be doing something different if it's you know trying to figure out hey I've got a business that I'm you know going to be looking at selling in a few years and I don't know what I'm going to do next or you know for some folks come into money, through uh, an inheritance or through a divorce, you know, we're, we're here to hold hands and kind of help folks design and walk through, um, you know, putting the puzzle pieces together. So it's something that it's not being done to people. It's being done, you know, planning is being done with people. Um, but the best way to get us, you know, really two ways, you can call the office at 601-957-0323, or you can, you can check us out on our website, 
www.pinntrust.com. Um, we've also got a pretty awesome social media uh, Facebook page that we run. Uh, we're, we're real frequent with postings and good tips there, so folks can go like us on Facebook, uh, follow us on our Facebook page. We also have uh, you know, a Twitter page, Instagram, and LinkedIn, but Facebook is where we're the most active with a bunch of cool little tips. Clayton, uh, welcome into the show. I guess you're uh, you're you're home for the Thanksgiving holiday for a couple of days. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I had a had an opportunity to come down here and and hang out with the old man for for, for a few days. So uh, taking advantage, and I appreciate you guys having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Martin, go ahead. Now, I was going to say, I mean, I'm I'm excited to have Clayton on on board with us. There's a lot of things that he's kind of helped me with navigating, um, with with specifically with regards to the marketing piece using Facebook, uh, our social media advertising, and we I do want to talk a, you know a little bit about that. But Clayton, really, man, I'd love for you to kind of start telling us your story. You know, I know that you know you work for AT and T now, but you didn't just wake up one day and be like, hey, I'm gonna you know, I'm going to be working, you know, in business advertising, kind of walk us through, tell us your story and, and then how you ended up you know, where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's kind of an interesting story. So, so growing up, you know, I had, um, old man who was always doing, uh, pinnacle trust and, um, helping things or helping people out with, uh, finding financial security, all the things that, that you talked about earlier. And we kind of had a serious conversation about when I was getting towards the end of high school and, uh, he kind of let me know, Hey, the family business is not going to be an option for you. And we, we made a little bit of an impact, like, um, you're going to have to go find your own way and kind of, uh, uh, build your own path. And yeah. I, I saw eye to eye that actually, I, I agreed with that and kind of, and kind of wanted that for myself. And so that was, it was good to have that option off the table. And, uh, and so I, I went off to college and actually went to the university of Arkansas and, uh, went ahead and majored it, majored in, in business and with a focus in, in finance and had a marketing or a, a, a minor, I should say, in, in economics and, and really enjoyed that. But once I started getting in the, in the later part of my college years, I started realizing that, you know, I got I got to figure something out and uh, was just really fortunate enough to use, you know, different connections and talk to different people that I trusted who had had successful careers and uh, was trying to figure out what, what field I wanted to get into. And then it became apparent to me after multiple conversations with different people that the technology field is one that's not going anywhere. It's right. fast paced. It's fun. It's exciting. Uh, you got to be comfortable with change for sure, because things are constantly evolving and changing. And uh, and it and, and it was something that just kind of sparked my interest. So I started looking for ways to get involved in some sort of technology uh, field. And, and and I've always loved people, loved talking to people, loved building relationships. And so I figured, you know, sales or or uh, some sort of client facing uh, people relationship building role would be one that that would suit me well. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I just did a little bit of research and, and tried to figure out what to do and then landed on the technology field and ended up getting landing an internship between my junior and senior year of college at a small little company. I say small, it was about a thousand people, a uh, global company with offices in, 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 in like five continents, but awesome. no one had ever really heard of it. It's called AppNexus and they focused uh, on digital advertising and building pretty complex underlying technology for the digital advertising field um, that allowed 
marketers like Pinnacle Trust or, or anybody who had a story that they wanted to get out there uh, to to you know be able to advertise in, in a digital way in a digital format and was kind of trying to go head to head with with Google. You know, most people don't realize when you think of Google, uh, Google is a is a, is predominantly a search engine, right? That's what right. you use Google for. Now they've uh, put their hands in many different things over yep. the years, right? But ninety percent of our revenue at one time, and probably still today, was in is in my business and the advertising business, a digital advertising business. And I mean, they really, they were kind of like the pioneers of absolutely. Because when you question. think about where, and sorry to, to bust in you, this no. is how podcasts roll. You know, you think about how um, you know digital advertising started. Because I mean, I remember like the first few pop up ads or the ads that would be on the side of your. Um, you know, in your email inbox or whatever. I mean, and they were the, really the first ones to kind of capture data on, you know, how many people are viewing and, and traffic and whatnot and, and giving a platform for businesses to, to catch. Because, I mean, you think about our, our generation, um, advertising on TV, I mean, I doubt that's probably just good money thrown at a bad thing for our generation. If you're trying to capture our attention, advertising on television right, or absolutely. radio. And, and if you look at how the industry has evolved over the years, you know, uh, the digital advertising industry just hit over a hundred billion dollars for the first time in the year 2018, which is crazy. And overwhelmingly, the majority of the money is going where you might think it's to mobile. More yeah. more people are, are engaging obviously with mobile devices and less like you're talking about sitting and spending a lot of time in front of the TV. Advertisers are finding that they're getting better engagement and better results um, in terms of in terms of you know targeting books, whether it's on a laptop, whether it's on a mobile device, or or a uh, or or an iPad or something. Like that. Yeah, I mean, and and it can be tracked as well. So like you can you can you can measure you can measure the the length of your dollar being spent versus you know I, I realize and I realize there was tracking in television where they would say you know hey we had so many hundreds of thousands of viewers but you didn't have any demographics on them or you had very vague demographics on them so you didn't know whether you know they were between the age of you know 10 and 20 or you know 20 and 35 or you know what their incomes level where it's now you're looking at digital platforms and we kind of just inherently a lot of people just give for free their information and (laughs) In right. data to Facebook. Well, if you're following anything from a political standpoint today, it's 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 very interesting to see how the climate has changed over the years. But uh, you're absolutely right. Going back to Google being a pioneer, the ability to give an advertiser, uh, you know, significant facts on what we would call attribution or ROI, return on their, you know, ad spend, or uh, them saying, hey, if I'm going to advertise to Martin, did he actually buy my product, was something that was unbelievably valuable as you might you know, uh, expect to advertisers. If you ever watch the show Mad Men, yeah. which is so common, right? Back in those days, we were, you know, advertisers were just throwing money at walls. You know, it was very, very difficult, almost impossible to measure ROI and, and understand, well, what kind of return on investment am I getting from these advertisements? But it was something you had to do to remain relevant. And right. what the digital and, tech, and, and technology has allowed us to do today is be able to have some unbelievable tools that can help advertisers really get a good understanding of when I spend $1, how much am I getting in return and, and, and is it profitable? And that's a, a lot of what uh, our, our, our business focuses on and trying to help with our clients and understanding, you know, uh, what, what kind of return on investment, what kind of attribution and is your advertising strategy from a digital standpoint um, really effective? Right. 
I'm curious here, and and if the answer's bad, I'll just edit it out of the uh, I'll edit it out of the podcast. <laughs> we edit podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I get this a lot. And I typically get it from older people who are looking into advertising and they're like, you know, how do, how does, how does your podcast advertising work? And you explain to them, but a lot of times, and I, yeah, I get this less and less, but I'll still get it on occasion. Wow. It sounds really good, but I don't really understand what a podcast is. I don't, I don't understand. I don't listen to podcasts. And when, when, how much of that do you still run into at all with, with like, when, when you look at advertising, when you look at return on investment, how much do you think uh, companies that, that used to throw money into newspapers and magazines and that kind of thing, how much do you think they'll now steer towards more like things like podcasts? Well, I think it'll be increasingly, uh, I, I think they'll be really interested in it over time. And I think we're already seeing that. Look at how much podcasts have just absolutely exploded the world, yeah. over the last couple of years. And it's a really interesting concept, right? Because we're talking about something that isn't really all that new of a, of, of a of concept, concept, right? right? Like we're, I mean, because radio has been around forever. forever. Um, and it's just a, an evolution of radio and how it has evolved over time. But I certainly think that uh, marketers and, and advertisers will continue to be interested the advertisers neil are going to follow wherever the people are right so whatever people are doing whatever they're interested in you know i was just talking about the migration over to, to mobile devices and yeah. and uh now as people are showing tons of interest and in spending lots and lots and lots of time listening to podcasts the ad dollars will follow i mean as an advertiser that you know that, that that's the main goal to find people that are interested in potentially uh engaging with your with your products and your services so i think we'll see it continue to 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 drive forward and, and, and really have a lot of success as long as people are still engaging with podcasts and interested in them. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I think that you have a real specific demographic of folks that, you know, by each podcast where you're going to get, you know, like Neil, not trying to, to give a free plug to the American Elections podcast, which is awesome, by the way, and I've been listening to. Um, but, you know, you're going to, you're going to know the demographics if, you know, if you were able to advertise on, you know, American Elections, you're going to know the type of people that are listening to those podcasts, so you can have very pointed, direct, you know, uh, marketing campaigns. Same with you know, Mind on My Money or G Pits or, um, you know, or any of any of your suite of, of podcasts. Uh, there's going to be audiences that listen to that, and it's and you can give a lot more. Of, I, I would think I'm I'm opining here, but I would think you can give a lot more of a of a defined range for a podcast versus the days of radio, where it's like, oh, we cover you know, the entire state of Mississippi and, you know, there's people that are five years old all the way to 105 that listen to us and people who make $5,000 a year all the way to $5 million a year that listen to us. You know, it's such a wide range on the radio, whereas you can get a lot more targeted and specific with podcasts because you're going to have people that are interested in things are generally going to have very similar, you know, styles and demographics. Oh, yeah. back to the the handheld you know whether it's an ipad or an iphone or whatever that's what strikes me more and more so when we started um when we started this site i guess when i didn't start the site but when i took over the site 11 years ago or whatever it was i mean almost all of our traffic was desktop and now it's more than 60 percent of our traffic is phones I mean, we're 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 getting away from people's laptops more and more. We're getting to where most of our product is designed for people that are, are, are that are it's for 
for mobile. Everything's designed for mobile site, which is problematic when Rivals.com is having a very difficult time with its app now for the second consecutive week. But that's another subject for another day. Um, <laughs> but no, it, everything is that way. And then the other thing I noticed, and, and Clayton, you're a lot younger than me, and Martin, you are too, but um, I noticed, and I've said this story when I moved Campbell into her dorm at Arkansas. Uh, it was Reed Hall, and I know you're familiar with that, Clayton. When I, I moved her in, there were the one thing I I saw lots of everything, and nothing of one thing. I did not see one television being moved into that dorm over the course of the day, not one. Yeah, that's it. that's it. that's exactly right. And I think we're seeing the same thing, and and where the ad dollars are following back to what we were talking about with the podcast. Yep, you're saying you're seeing sixty percent engagement. I think fifty five or fifty three, something like that percent of all ad spend was on in the mobile format in the year two thousand eighteen, and I think we'll see that continue to increase in two thousand nineteen and on into into twenty twenty. So that that, yep. that goes back to the exact point. But you don't need a TV anymore. I mean, you know, with the we can talk about this a little bit more in, in the future, but with the launch of what we call SVOD or, or AVOD. You know, SVOD is a subscription video on demand service. Um, we're seeing a huge rise in those lately with Disney Plus, which Disney Plus yep. is allowing to get ESPN which Plus. Disney Plus is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's been largely extremely successful. Um, you don't need a TV for that, right? I mean, you can stream Disney Plus directly to your phone, directly to your laptop, directly to your iPad, and um, it's just a lot more flexible and, and, and a yeah. lot more, you know, uh, able to be able to be transportable than, uh, than the traditional TV. Yeah, it's portable. I mean, and that we and so at my house, we have been watching Disney Plus. I've been Chromecasting it or, you know, are airplaying it to my smart TV for when Gia and I are watching it. But so we can still have that family unit. Like, so it's not everyone with an individual screen in front of them where, you know, it's something we're all doing together. But then you're correct. So, uh, you know, I watched The Mandalorian. The first episode dropped while... I was in New York on a, at, a, at a conference, and then episode two and three dropped while I was at Disney. Um, and then Gia and I watched. So she loves. She's my little Star Wars buddy, and uh, we watched The Mandalorian together on the TV. But yeah, I mean, so like my house, you know. And another term that I just learned, my 15 year old uh, called my mom Boomer, uh, which was pretty funny. I got it. Um, but uh, so the boomers, you know, boomer in my house, she watches Fox News and Hallmark. Uh, we pay. And I think we talked about this when Eric was on the show. You know, we pay 150 a month to Comcast for cable. And mom is the only one that actually you watch two channels. She watches Hallmark, which I'm sure I can get an app for. And she watches Fox News, which I'm sure there is. <laughs> You know, Martin, it'll be really interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years. I think it's a really exciting time to, to be in this industry and, and, and really for consumers. Consumers like us are going to have right. obviously a huge impact on what hap- what happens. But I know I really enjoyed listening to Eric talk about some of this stuff and, and his opinions on it. And, and I thought it was super interesting. But AT&T is actually launching an SVOD or subscription video on demand service uh, this spring. And, you know, with their, with their acquisition, most people may not know this, but AT&T completed a, an acquisition of Time Warner in 2018, about $80 plus billion acquisition. And so is HBO going to be yeah, free on that? Yeah. And so <laughs> uh, with, with Time Warner, you know, acquired the HBO brand, yep. all the brands that fall under Turner, including Otter Media, have, have a lot of brands that, that you would know. And um, that adds to their existing assets of DirecTV, 
yep. and DirecTV Now, which is their new streaming service. Yep. Um, so there will be an HBO launch where you'll see something, you know, a, a competitor or a, um, you know, a, a, an alternative to Disney Plus that is coming to market soon um, off of the AT&T brand. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, if we have five or six different subscription services that we have to describe to. Are we going back to paying $150 a month so, to get access to what we want to watch? Man, that's actually that's a good question. We were actually having that debate. Um, I was having it with one of my buddies where we were talking about, okay, there's going to, I'm not, Netflix isn't leaving yet. Right, so I'm I'm still keeping that. Amazon Prime is really kind of on demand. They do have some good original content. The Jack Ryan season two dropped, which is, you know, is awesome. I love that. But then like Disney Plus is that's our big one. Um, so I'm I love Marvel, <laughs> I love Star Wars, and then my six year old, you know, has access to all of the princess stuff. But yeah, what what is going to be the cap? Where you know. At some point, I'm not going to pay for everybody's, you know, app and subscription service. And what will be interesting to see is will we see a restriction back into a, it won't be like cable, but a cable-like yeah. so service I'm, that combines everything back together. And it, it, I think it'll be a few years, but it will certainly be interesting to, to follow and yeah. see over time. But I, I have a prediction that the winners of this outcome, especially in the short term, and by short term, I mean over the next couple of years, are going to be the content makers themselves. Yes. So the folks who own the rights and have the studios to build this content, folks like HBO or Disney, or you, it, someone like Netflix, in, in, in my opinion, is is it could be in trouble. You're seeing yep. them start to try to, if you ever watch anything on Netflix, you'll see a lot of times the show will say Netflix original. Yep. That means it's produced content by them, by one of their studios. And that's why these... Uh, previous services that we would call like aggregators, like a Netflix and a Hulu or something of that nature, are trying to get into the business of actually producing content themselves because they're going to watch Disney and HBO and these and these other folks who do the, produce the content uh, go direct to consumer and offer a streaming service themselves and yeah. kind of cut out the middleman. It's 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 typical to what we see in a lot of businesses, right? Like as the business evolves, as it becomes more and more mature. Uh, Middlemen become in, a little bit in jeopardy, a little bit in trouble, and I think that's what we're seeing. You're, right saying, you, you're seeing this with professional sports. You're seeing teams launch their own networks. Uh, like the, I'm a Cubs fan. The Cubs are launching their own network in February, just in time for spring training. So you, 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 can, you can buy the Cubs app. You can subscribe to the Cubs channel with your, with your provider, whether it's DirecTV or Dish or whatnot, and, uh, and you can get that channel, and uh, you can watch – all cubs all the time which i realize sounds terrible for a lot of people but <laughs> but like for some you know there there's a segment out there that yeah hey they're, they're gonna especially if they can ever get to a place where they can stream their own games now that gets into uh, you know that gets into some copyright stuff with major league baseball and there, there are some issues there but that does like like clayton said that does seem to be the direction that a lot of businesses are going including uh, including sports and, and entertainment and all sorts of things yeah, I mean, I think that you're seeing that the, the disruptors are 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 out there. But the funny thing that's kind of happening now, or at least what I've seen, and we'll I'll roll back to the media piece is, you know, when you think of disruptors, Netflix was a disruptor, right? Netflix, Netflix, and maybe Redbox to kill Blockbuster. I mean, Blockbuster was my favorite Friday night thing to do. Um, you know, when I was growing up, but and even when I was a young adult, about going in that store, kind of walking around through the aisles and looking for a movie, yeah. and grabbing a popcorn. I mean, even my my older kids remember it. Gia, my six year old, will never know what it's like to be so excited to go walk up to the new release wall 
to pull the cover down and there's not a video, there's not another box back Behind there it, and like yeah. the disappointment that ensues. <laughs> right. And then you're trying to call on Tuesday or Wednesday to reserve a right. copy for Friday. Yeah. She'll never know that. But, um, you know, but Blockbuster just refused to, um, Evolve. To evolve, and then then they decided, oh, we're gonna we'll do it, and it was too late at that point. So that gets me back to my my story a little bit, if you don't mind. I know we, we went no, on sure. a little bit of a tangent there, but a lot of people ask, they say, Clayton, why does a telecommunications company like AT and T want to buy Time Warner? And then you know, I, I mentioned how I, I got an internship, and eventually was fortunate enough to land a full time job at this little company called App Nexus, and in uh, two thousand and eighteen, uh, right after. AT&T completed the acquisition of Time Warner. They, they came and bought a little old company called AppNexus, which was a, a blimp on the radar co- compared to, to to what they did Some with the Time Warner, yeah. Time Warner acquisition. I mean, they probably buy a company a week. I don't know. But, uh, but we, we, were, we were a big pillar that they were missing. So uh, a lot of people ask me that. And it, it goes back to what you're talking about with Blockbuster. Um, Randall Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T, is incredibly bright. And if, you, if anyone is interested in this space or interested in business or interested in uh, the evolution and staying relevant, I, I would highly encourage you to go listen to some of his stuff. You can find him talking about uh, the industry or the business on YouTube. And, and he's just incredibly interesting to, to, to listen to. He doesn't know me from Adam, so I'm not even sucking up. <laughs> Uh, it, it just really is, <laughs> it, it is smart. So um, he's looking for ways to make AT&T stay relevant, right? Yeah. And I think what we're seeing is that uh, AT&T has probably hit the pinnacle of what they're going to do in the telecommunications world, right? So how do they evolve the business? How do they marry different assets together and stay relevant? And one of those is by having uh, premium content, by having to direct-to-consumer distributions in other ways than just the mobility business or the cell phone business. And so now we've got two ways that AT&T is engaging with consumers, uh, which, you know, one is the mobility business, how everyone would think of AT&T as a, as a cell phone service provider. And another is through linear television like DirecTV and, and, and those products are evolving into streaming services like DirecTV Now um, with, the, with the addition of, of the content from HBO, Turner, CNN, and those products as well. Um, you're seeing Randall look for ways to strategically evolve the business and make sure that AT&T doesn't sit in a position like Blockbuster did where they didn't think right. about What's what's next? Where you, you know, die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you don't evolve, you die. I mean, that's how the business world works, and it's stressful, um, but it's life. Yeah, that's the whole world. That's yeah. how the the whole world. I mean, and that's the the thing that's great for consumers across the board is that competition is very much alive. The economy is in, even though there may be people that say, "Oh, you know, well, the economy's in bad shape." I say. No, I disagree. It's like there was something I read, and sorry, I'm going to go on a tangent for two seconds. There was something I read that was such a – I'm a storyteller when I'm talking to folks, and it made so much sense, and it was talking about the economy now because, you know, everyone is saying, oh, you know, the economy's in bad shape, the economy's in bad shape. Well, it's kind of like when you drive on the interstates in Texas, the speed limit's 75 miles an hour, right? So I know I'm always an 8 to 9 miles per hour over – the posted speed limit. So if it says 75 in Texas, 83. I'm cruising at 83. Um, and, you know, then when you hit like the Louisiana and Mississippi lines, the speed limit changes to, you know, 65 or 70. And in some cases you're in 50, 55. Well, you have to slow down, but that doesn't mean that you stopped going forward. You just stopped going forward as quickly. And dude, honestly, I feel like that's where we are with the economy right now is that, you know, we were, we were just crushing it. At, we were cruising in Texas at 83 miles an hour, you know, and now the globe is just kind of, you know, we've hit Mississippi and 
we've got some construct. You hit 49 in Mississippi, and you're here in construction traffic. Right. Um, totally. But yeah, the, but the world is the world is changing, and that's good for consumers across the world in the financial industry. You know, and Schwab just announced a huge, huge deal taking all trades down to zero dollars, which is killing. So Schwab's about they're trying to do a deal with TD Ameritrade. They'll make them the largest independent, um, you know, custodial bank or custodian. You know, in the world, which is phenomenal, to be five trillion dollars that they would um, that they would custody, and that's good for consumers. That's driving the costs of doing business down. But the thing is, is that, scale. yeah, the quality that people are getting now is going up, but the cost, you know, is dropping, which is crazy. But it just means that businesses are having to do more with less, right? Um, but that's why you you know you're trying to get more volume um, in there as possible. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, we'll continue to see how it evolves over time, but but I think it's certainly an exciting time for, for the advertising business and the advertising industry as a whole. And, and back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, I think the political landscape is unbelievably interesting right now. You're seeing Facebook that's taking so much heat yep. um, from a press and a marketing standpoint in terms of how they're collecting uh, consumers' data and what kind of access they're giving to other advertisers to have access to this cons- consumer data. Sure. Are they getting correct permissions from them? Are they making and and, and what we've seen in, in markets across the world that listeners may not be as familiar with is a concept called GDPR that's happening in Europe right now, which is if you go online uh, to any sort of European domain. So if you're in any European European country, or if you go to a U- European URL or domain right now, you're going to get a question that pops up on your screen that says we are tracking you via a cookie-based tracking system you have to accept that and if you do not accept that they cannot target you with any sort of advertising components at all Um, i think you know historically what we've seen from markets smaller markets in the united states is that they've been a little bit of an early adopter and kind of an indication of where things are moving potentially going forward and we've seen california has now uh, put in some laws that are very similar to what's happening with gdpr um in, in, in Europe. So it, it'll be really interesting to see what happens from a targeting standpoint here in, in the United States over the next couple of years as well, because we're about to hit this intersection of having these unbelievable technology advances in these, in these plays to really be able to target consumers in a way that has never been available before. But, you know, what are the laws and regulations going to be in place to, to, to have to make it where consumers are opting in and saying, hey, I'm okay with using my information. One of the first things people talk to me about when I tell them what I do for a living is they say, oh, dadgummit, you're the, you're, the, you're the person that makes the pop-ups come up when I'm surfing the web, right? And I'm saying, <laughs> well, do you like using the internet? That's kind of what I say back because we're what powers the internet. Yep. We're what makes the internet free. Now, would you rather pay $50 a month to use the internet or would you rather see ads? And I think our business has taken a strong stance and, and really the, whole, the, 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 the industry as a whole has cleaned up a lot from, from a decade ago where pop-ups were coming left and right. Um, advertisers are starting to see that consumers don't engage well with that at all and, it, and it's a poor user experience um, certainly and, 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 and not a positive positive experience. So uh, I think we will continue to see a lot of that cleaned up over time and seeing less invasive less intrusive, more user-friendly advertising in all mediums, whether it be on television, whether it be on the internet, whether it be on your mobile device or anywhere. So I think we're headed in a positive direction, and it's a really, really interesting time for uh, for this business. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing, really, the whole... 
I, I catch myself becoming this way now. And I, I used to be someone that wasn't bothered by ads, you know, when they, when they would pop up. Uh, it just they didn't bother me. I'd click away from them. But now there's there are sites, and I won't name them necessarily, but there there are sites where the content is so voluminous with ads throughout it that I no longer go there for information. I no longer go there for enjoyment. I, I've I've found I've found alternative ways to uh, to get news or to get uh, to get content. I, I, and most people are that way. And, and and what you're saying is exactly right. Is that businesses who are uh, who are providing that content they have to figure out the needle to thread between hey you want to make money by selling advertising but you also want to keep your customer base or your your subscription base uh, happy because you, you want them to stick around too and and there is there there is a happy medium to be found but it's it's often hard to find it. And, and Neil, that's why I think you know I, I have a pretty pretty strong opinion on uh, a lot of people don't like. Uh, they talk about the ads that follow them around, right? Oh, yeah. I went and searched for some shoes, and now I'm on the internet and looking for shoes. And that can be a little daunting, a little bit scary, but it's just smart advertising. It, it's smart advertising, and I, I think we, we have this term in our business that we call frequency and recency capping. And, and frequency capping is how often am I showing an ad to Martin? Maybe if I'm showing Martin an ad for some some new dress shoes, Martin's got a sweet pair of dress shoes on today, so maybe I'm showing him an ad for some new dress shoes. And and if I'm showing him that ad every hour, every day, that's a, that's not a positive user experience. And, it, and, it, and, and the advertiser likely has a bad consultant and should come do business with us. But... <laughs> But, you know, recency capping is, is not just how often have, am I seeing it, or it's how recently have I seen it, right? And so there are a lot of ways that you can make sure that targeting is happening in a responsible way by limiting frequency and recency capping, by being smart about how you're engaging with consumers. Because at the end of the day, I would actually prefer to be targeted. And, and most people are going to, listening, are going to say, why in the world would you well, prefer that? because you're in the industry. Yeah, well, yeah. probably that. But it, I'm with you. <laughs> But I, I don't want to see an ad for, for you know for, for, for Barbie dolls, right? Right. Or something that or I'm Victoria's not, Secret. Yeah. Or I don't need would, those. Or, <laughs> or something that I'm that I'm not interested in at all. I'd rather have responsible advertising and targeting for things that I actually may be interesting in, interested in. And, and someone who has done this really, really, really well is Instagram. I think Instagram's advertising is unbelievably native. You know, they've got it in a way that looks like an actual post. And I think they do a great job of, of frequency and recency because I find myself clicking on those ads more often than any other thing that I'm engaging with and, and often uh, wanting to actually make a purchase on the ad, which is obviously the ultimate goal of the advertiser. Indeed. Neil, you were going to say something? Uh, yeah, well, I was. I want to. I'll get into it in a second. Let me. Let me first. Let me pay a. Speaking of advertising, let's pay a bill or two. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you by Lentz and Little. It's a veteran-owned Mississippi firm. Serves the entire state for business advice, commercial litigation from Oxford to Gulfport, everywhere in between. If you're having trouble paying your debts or someone isn't paying you what you're owed, Lentz and Little can quickly advise you on your best course of action. They have more than sixty years of collective experience representing banks, businesses, and individuals in defaulted loan workouts. Uh, collections, repossessions, foreclosures, and bankruptcies. Lentz and Little offers creative solutions to financial problems, has the versatility you need regardless of whether you need help with general business advice, issues with payment or taxes, or representation in state, federal, or bankruptcy court. They can help you arrange your finances and assets, limit your exposure, and protect you and your family should financial disaster strike. If you're in the mo- if you're in the need for their legal assistance, 228-867-6050. Lentz, Little, Dot com. That's L-E-N-T-Z, little.com, or you can email Jarrett 
at lentslittle.com. That's J-A-R-R-E-T-T at lentslittle.com. Your initial consultation by phone or in person is free of charge. We're also brought to you by the refrigeration company, TRC, owned and operated by Jeremy Watler. He's been in the refrigeration field for more than 20 years, including five years as a national service manager at TRC. They understand that great service means being responsive. Their highly trained, responsible, and dedicated staff are available 24-7 to ensure your complete satisfaction. They specialize in ammonia refrigeration but work on any other HFC, HCFC, or CO2 systems. TRC is building winning relationships with customers in baking, cold storage warehouses, ice production facilities, and facilities serving dairy, food, poultry, and catfish processing. They're based in Spanish Fort, Alabama, but they're licensed in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, and South Carolina as well. They can handle all of your company's refrigeration needs, including installation, fabrication, service, compressor rebuilds, ammonia detection, calibration, vibration analysis, and more. To learn more, call Jeremy Wattler, 251 348-8533 or email him at jeremy at therefridgeco.com that's jeremy at the r-e-f-r-i-g-c-o.com you can also follow them at uh, on their on Facebook or on their website therefridgeco.com so my question really was about the the, the targeted marketing the, I think the, the thing that, that creeps people out doesn't really bother me i always find it kind of fascinating and it's a reminder that there's someone kind of always listening and i carry that someone around with me uh so it's kind of me that's letting them listen but you know you'll you'll talk about like the best example i have is that i had a uh had an ankle issue um not so long ago and and i never never googled ankle injuries or anything like that I, I didn't i never went shopping for an ankle brace or anything but i had conversations with two or three people about hey i, I have this issue with my ankle and and should i run should i back off of it should i wrap it or whatnot and all of a sudden i started having uh ads for ankle arthritis ads for ankle braces all ankle related stuff popping into my content and it was just it didn't necessarily bother me, but I can see the people who are out there that say that's intrusive. That's that's an invasion of, of their of their privacy. Absolutely, Neil. I mean, you were talking earlier about threading the needle, and it's a really really fine line. And that, in my opinion, is is certainly over the line and something that uh, I don't think any consumer would be comfortable with. Um, you know, feeling like that they're they're listening on. And you're not the first person that that has said that. I think a lot of people are are starting to say that and think that. And I don't. Think that that's exactly happening, but uh, but you know I, I, I could be wrong. It's certainly not something that we're doing in our business. Um, I can't speak for, for for what other people are are doing in their businesses, but it's it certainly, in my opinion, would be uh, one of those things that that is over the line and certainly does feel uh, an invasion of privacy and, and uncomfortable. I I would totally agree with you there. So Neil, I'm going to be a total smartass here and say. Maybe that the at maybe your your social media stuff is smart enough to know that you're a Peloton guru and you're getting old and your body's going to break down and it just happened to be. <laughs> I mean, perhaps I don't know. I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. I've been a little bit sarcastic and but it's but yeah. I always just kind of find that stuff interesting. That that um, it's a reminder that you're you're. you're you're never as private as you think you are. 
guys, yeah. especially not in today's world. Huh? You know, and the only time I've ever had that happen to me is always Domino's Pizza. Now, watch, we're going to get off of this. I'm going to hit Facebook when we finish the recording, and there's going to be a Domino's ad because um, I love Domino's. But probably it's also because they know that, you know, in the Domino's app, like if you order six pizzas or whatever, uh, you end up getting a free pizza. I've probably had, I don't know, 10, 15 free pizzas. So Domino's just <laughs> knows that I really love them. Uh, that's probably why they advertise to my Facebook because they know I'm likely going to buy it. I can't remember the last time I ordered a pizza. So that, that might be a positive thing. And Well, Neil, this is why you are a like cut-up fit peloton guru and okay i've actually got to use this term it just hit me so when i when i went for my surfing lesson um then my surf instructor uh cracked me up because like he so he gave me my wetsuit and it was a 3xl and i was like dude i am not a triple x and he's like man he's like these things are just made different and i was like all right whatever so i put it on and it fits of course uh, <laughs> and we get in the water and he's trying to teach me the me- the mechanics of you know of surfing and um i got up and rode a wave it was probably like the fifth or sixth time rode it all the way in and he's hooping and hollering in the background and uh i get back with my surfboard to him and he's like dude he's like i'm gonna be totally honest with you he's like i thought we were gonna get out here and you're just gonna ride on your belly the whole time he's like you know you're kind of sort of fat, but you're surprisingly athletic. <laughs> so that's my mantra for life now is sort of kind of fat, surprisingly athletic. <laughs> that's that's funny. I'm, I'm, cause I've always been curious about this, and I know we're venturing off into a completely different thing, and we're approaching the end of our show. But Yeah, Nathan does have a few questions he wants to ask. Yeah, too, so. so real quick, real quick, when you were out there, how many times did you think like, shark, sorry, shark, man. shark? <laughs> Um, honestly, zero. Uh, I didn't think about sharks at all, and I just called Clayton Nathan on accent. That's his brother. Uh, but I didn't think sharks at all, man. I mean, uh, I'm sure that they. I mean, I was in their home, right? So if they'd have eaten me, like, you know, it's like if someone comes up in my house and invades my house, there's a chance that you're walking out with, you know, some additional holes in your body. And I was, you know, I was in the shark's house. So if I walked out with additional holes in my body, I'd, I'm. Neil, I don't know if this is where you're going, but every time I'm in the ocean, that is, I can't speak for <laughs> I, I That is it always in my head. I'm the exact every- same way. I, I, if I get more than about waist deep, I'm thinking shark, shark, shark the whole time. Well, dude, I don't, that just never was. So when I did Ironman Florida too, I had to, our swim was in the ocean. I mean, it was a 2.4 mile swim in the ocean and shark never never crossed my mind and, and i guess when you're in the ocean the whole bear analogy doesn't apply to you like you know when you're running from a bear you don't have to be the fastest just don't be the slowest right where where in the ocean i mean it's like whether you're at the front the middle or the back of the pack i mean a shark can take you out <laughs> so that that doesn't apply there but i never thought about it man i'm just maybe i'm just maybe god made me stupid in those regards to recognize danger in the water so that I could participate in sports like that. So sort sort of kind of fat, surprisingly athletic and stupid. There you go. There you yes. go. We're just we're getting the labels for you as the as the day goes on. They're they're getting better and better. So Clayton had they're some questions. Better. Clayton, uh, the floor is yeah. yours. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, obviously, the title uh, of the podcast, "Mind of My Money" podcast, and I, I wanted to take an opportunity to to ask a little bit about uh, you know leverage some of Martin's expertise and and uh, to steal a term from Neil, play a little bit of a village idiot from from myself. Um, 
and, and for those that are listening that might be around my age, you know, mid, mid to late 20s or, or, or parents that are listening that, that might have kids that are my age or, or soon to be in my age, I think, you know, I wanted to take the opportunity, Martin, to just have a conversation with you about uh, some things that, that I'm interested in, right, sure. in, in terms of, you know, just getting my feet off the ground with a career, um, com- you know, completely out on my own and, and paying my own bills and thinking about uh, adulting, man, adulting, right, thinking about what's coming down the line that's not even here yet, whether it's buying houses or having families yeah. or, or having kids. I mean, life life gets real and it gets real really fast. So for, for you, for someone who is maybe in my stage of life or, or potentially soon to be in my stage of life or even a little bit ahead, um, what are some, what, maybe, what, what are a few tips and tricks? I know this is a really broad question. And I'll let you kind of narrow it in for us. But what are a few tips and tricks that you would have when it comes to building financial security and, and, and a good foundation for, for savings or, or something that could turn into a down payment on a house or a, a college savings fund or yeah. whatever it might be for kids. You know, if you're kind of in my shoes, what would you be looking to do? Yeah. So, um, I mean, and, and man, that's actually, a, it's a good question because it's actually the, I'm going to give you some answers and it's kind of universal. It's not just for folks that are in their, you know, in their early twenties that, you know, it does translate in a, for, you know, for folks with young families as well. And we'll, t- we can talk about it you know, more advanced age situations later if there's time. But, um, you know, I, th- I really think the most important thing for any person to do once they get out of school um, and they're working and they're on their own is to to build that first emergency fund padding. Because, dude, if you're anything like me, you know, Murphy just lived at my house. So, you know, Murphy's law, if it can go wrong, it will. That was story. Murphy lived at my house rent free forever when I didn't have an emergency fund. So things would break, right? Um, you know, a car would need to get repaired. Tires need to be bought, you know? And so the, the thing that when you're young and you're not making, you know, you're in your first career, so you're not making, you know, the big bucks yet. And you probably have more, you know, expenses than you really have income coming in. That's generally kind of how the first stage of life works is, um, you know, it's your low income years, but high expenses. So building that emergency fund is kind of, is kind of step one. And, I think and so. Three months of emergency funds, six months of emergency funds, yeah. kind of whatever you think you can handle. Honestly, or? man, I think that, um, you know, if, if you can get to three months of expenses, that's a good place to stop. And then you can start funding other things like your 401k more fully. But I think, and we'll, I'll circle back to that one, but first step just as quickly as possible is to get, you know, 500 bucks to a thousand bucks into a savings account. That's your first, you know, emergency fund pad. Cause that kind of covers most of your, you know, what emergencies are going to happen when you're early life, you know, you got to go to the ER or you got to go to, you know, get tires for a vehicle. All, most of those trips are kind of a thousand dollars or under, um, you know, a lot of times when you're first career, you know, you haven't bought a house yet. So you don't have to worry about, you know, replacing air conditioning units. You don't have to worry about replacing, you know, stoves and stuff like that. So, um, it's usually car and medical bills. And, you know, for a lot of folks today that are graduating and Neil and I, I think it was our first, second, third episode, we talked about student debt, you know, um, that's, that's generally most of, uh, the young folks that are graduating today have, you know, huge student debts they're having to pay back and that's their, their biggest Achilles heel. Um, so yeah, man, if you can get, you know, 500 to a thousand bucks as quickly as possible into a savings account, which, you know, when you're in your first job, sometimes that's going to take months to get 
five hundred to a thousand bucks into a savings account if you don't have it already. Yeah, absolutely. So shifting gears a little bit, let's say yeah. that we're we're fortunate enough to have focused on an emergency fund yeah. and, and kind of built up that that part of our savings account and uh, feel on solid ground. And it, it, the next step you started to mention briefly would that be you know would your advice be focusing on a four hundred one k? And I know you know one of the things that I wish they would have covered in the, in the Arkansas business school or all it, schools it, or all schools all education is you know what is life insurance? What is a four hundred one k? What's the difference between a Roth four hundred one k and a regular four hundred one k? What's an emergency fund? You know how to and so after let's say that you've gotten to a place where you've kind of built up that emergency fund a little bit and feel comfortable with where you're at uh, what would kind of be step number two yeah i mean i think the next step really if you're breaking off into saving for retirement um you know once you've got re- you know your emergency fund covered is if you have it the uh the employer the 401k or the equivalent thereof you know if wherever you're working is the best the best next place because you get most people are going to get some free money along with the match. That. The match, that's correct. So, you know, if your if your employer, let's just go easy numbers. Your employer gives you a five percent match, and you have to put up five percent to get five percent. You do it because essentially, that's a hundred percent return on your money right off the bat before you ever even talk about Investing market growth. Absolutely. So you put in a dollar, your employer matches you a dollar. That's great. Now, the perfect, perfect world is if you have the Roth option in your 401k, um, that's the option you want to use for your money. Reason being is, um, you, you know, it does, it's, it goes in after taxes, um, if you put in the Roth option, but it grows tax free. And then in the back, on the back side is where you get your tax benefit and that's your withdrawals are, you know, you owe zero taxes on that. And it's the idea there from my limited understanding that, you know, ideally in, in a fortunate world that, you know, later in your career, you'd be earning a higher wage and a higher income than early in your career. So your tax rate would probably be higher later in your career. So you'd rather pay the taxes now while you theoretically have a little bit lower tax rate and less income. Is that the right way to think about it? Or Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the potential options, but the bigger one is just the unknown piece. So, you know, you know what you're ta- right. Yes, that's yeah. exactly where I was going was politically. Yeah. So I'm not saying, you know, I'm not a doomsdayer by any stretch of the imagination, but let's say you get to retirement and, you know, you've got a political party in office that has said, hey, we are going to take taxes up to 50, 60 percent. Well, when you were working, your taxes were, you know, 10, 15 percent. So it's I would rather have certainty and the Roth gives you certainty because you know exactly how much taxes you're going to pay on the backside, which is zero. zero. Yep. Because, um, I mean, in flip side, there could be a political party in office that, you know, your taxes are lower than. But in the end, it's like, OK, you know, you, you lost a little bit on that. But chances are that if I was a gambling man, chances are that your tax situation is going to be uh, a higher tax situation at retirement than, you know, in your early working years anyway. So if I could wrap up and kind of conclude a little bit of, of, of your advice here would be. Start off with building an emergency fund with whatever three to, to six months of your actual expenses yep. are going to be. And then once you can kind of hit that level and check that goal off, it would be take the free money, find out if your business or your employer has a 401k or something similar to that option, um, find out if there's a match and at least take advantage of what's happening there. And, yep. and then, you know, what, what is there a step three, Martin? Yep, like, is there, there something is. you should do in addition to that or? Yeah, there is. And it's something that you mentioned and we didn't answer, which is the life insurance piece. Mm -hmm. So even for someone who has no children, not married, life insurance is still 
it's still important. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a worst case. That's a really confusing thing for me or someone that's potentially my age too, because you know, knock on wood, if something bad happened to me, everybody's going to be okay. I don't have dependents or family, so I'm really interested in in where you're going to take this. Correct. You don't have them yet. (laughs) Yet. So, so let's just play. Let's let's play a crazy scenario that actually does end up happening in the real world. Let's say that you know you're. Um, one of those guys that doesn't end up getting married and having a family until you're in your you know mid thirties or something like that. But at you know your early thirties, you have some type of unexpected healthcare event. Um, you know, let's say it's a uh, you know blood pressure issues and you know uh, or let's say I'll, I'm going to use my wife and hopefully she doesn't kill me for this. But so she has had you know mental what they would like uh, mental illness stuff with anxiety and all of that anxiety depression and she it's difficult for her to get life insurance now because uh, they rate her as a high risk because of the anxiety and the length of time she's been on the anxiety medication um, and we're going through some battles with that and I don't care about I'll share all of that on the you know podcast at some point too but I'll just say that you know that has really uh, kicked her out of being able to buy additional insurance. So luckily, when we first got married, we were 30. I went ahead and got you know half a million dollars of term life insurance on her. And so I paid more because she got rated as a, a higher risk. But now if I were to try to go get more life insurance... Um, because of her current situation, she would get declined from. So, in layman's terms, what we're saying here is, while you're young, while you're healthy, while you're you healthy, don't have medical issues, and while it's inexpensive, when you're healthy and inexpensive, just get it because you're never going to get it any cheaper. And I mean, for someone who's in their mid twenties that is in good health, you could get a half a million dollars of insurance for you know probably between twenty five and thirty five dollars a month, which is. You know, not a ton of money, but I realize like when you're when you don't have a ton of cash flow coming in, sometimes twenty five, thirty five dollars a month is, you know, is a big deal. But it could, you know, help you on that back end if you ever, you know, end up in a situation where you have a health event and it, you know, disqualifies you from being able to get new or additional insurance. Um, Because once you have the insurance, you can always, uh, even if you have a term, you could convert it into a quote-unquote permanent insurance piece if you needed to, to turn it into permanent insurance. So Awesome. I think that's extremely helpful for me, and I hope the rest of the listeners. But uh, Yeah, it's important, and I think that a lot of young folks would say that, hey, I don't, I'm not married, I don't have kids, I don't need insurance yet. Um, so, but, but yeah, I think it's important. Go ahead and lock it in while you can get it and get it cheap. Yeah. Um, kind of wrapping up because I know we're coming up towards the end of the show, but I really enjoyed listening to the dialogue between you and the chief investment officer, Reed Davis at at Pinnacle Trust, talking about the state of the market today. And I think it it raised some questions in my head and some curiosities. And I think one of the things that I, that I heard you guys talk about is, uh, you know, it's not if it's just when a recession is coming right. and kind of and kind of how bad that we're in a market growth phase right now. And that if you look at the historical uh, landscape of, of what our, our economy looks like, you know, there's ups and downs just like anything else. And so uh, given the fact that the last couple of years we've been on and up, uh, there is a recession coming. Should that be something when you're when you're listening to that and you're not 
living and breathing in the industry like you do every single day, it kind of raises a little bit of an alarm inside and you're like, well, am, are we going to hit a downturn in economic growth and expansion just as I'm starting to get to a point in my career where I'm earning income and starting a family and buying a house? Is that something that if you're uh, if you have kids that are my age or, or actually my age that, that you should be concerned about or worried about or, or what's your take on, on, on where we're at and, 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 you know, my stage of life? Yeah, I would say worried would not be the word I would use. I would say if I were in your situation and I'm in the same situation as you are, too, because I still have 30 years till retirement. We hit uh, a recession and markets turned down. That's exciting times for me and you. Those are those are gifts that, you know, you're not going to get often. So it's kind of like I described it to, I keep using my wife. She's going to kill me, dude, if she ever <laughs> listens to this podcast. She probably doesn't listen to it though. So I'm in good shape. Um, but so I, the thing I say to her is, you know, let's say that you go to, you know, Belk and you find a pair of shoes that you really like, and they're a hundred dollars at Belk. And then you go over to JC Penney and you find the exact same pair of shoes, but they're on sale for $50. Do you buy the $100 pair of shoes or do you buy the $50 pair of shoes? Well, and that's a rhetorical question. Of course you buy the $50 pair of shoes. And that's essentially all that happens when, you know, when we hit these downturns and these recessions too. It's like, let me use AT&T as an example since since you're employed by them. Um, AT&T is... Don't get me in trouble here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. This, they'll probably thank me for this one. AT&T is going to be AT&T whether markets are moving up or markets are moving down. The opportunity that you get when, when there's a recession, it's kind of like, you know, the top in a high tide, all boats rise, and in low tide, all boats fall. You know, when we have recession or, or a downturn in the markets, AT&T hasn't become any worse of a company. It's just the environment has forced them to go on sale. So you want to buy as much as you can, you know, while it's on sale. So, you know, for someone who's our age or saving money for retirement, you know, you, you, you pray for the downturns because th that's really when you're going to make all of your money and you can pour if you can pour as much as you possibly can into buying as much as you can of you know the mutual funds that's inside of your 401ks the stock mutual funds inside your 401ks just know that you're going to win when it turns so you've been able to buy more shares or more units as it's been going down with the same amount of money and when it turns it's going to get this slingshot effect where you know all of a sudden so i might you're telling me i might be timing it just right huh? i mean the, the, the housing market could potentially decline we could potentially get lower rates and and and, and cheaper homes or yeah i mean that's across the board or i think i think the housing market's actually in okay shape outside of places like where you live <laughs> in new york city um, and maybe San Francisco and Washington, D.C. or your huge metropolitan areas. I mean, like in Mississippi, you know, we didn't we didn't have a huge, huge declines in, in housing like we like you saw in the other areas. But we also didn't have, you know, these these huge upswings either. So um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that you're in good shape for, you know, where you are in life. Just make smart decisions with don't buy too much house. You know, don't finance something at 20 percent. You're probably in, <laughs> in pretty good shape. Neil, I know we're, we're bumping up on time here, man. Yeah, it's pretty good. I was interesting. I was kind of listening along. It's too late for me to make some of those decisions in my 20s, but I'm, I'm, uh, a lot of the things you said, I was like, yeah, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that. But I, I, I think I've done a pretty good job in my late 30s and 40s of catching up some. So maybe, maybe I will be okay. 
Yeah, we'll talk. Neil, I think it would be a good idea at some point for us to talk about folks in middle age and, and, and early retirement to talk about the, the quote-unquote catching up piece because most people think they're catching up when they're actually right where they're supposed to be. Yeah. We can talk about that in another show. Though. It's actually a good idea. Uh, Clayton, cool. thank you so much for the time. Happy Thanksgiving to you and, and uh, everyone in the Wall family. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been a blast. Martin, uh, good to catch up with you. We'll uh, we'll get together again next week. So happy yeah. Thanksgiving to you and your family as well. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there who is uh, listening to this podcast. Uh, please share it with friends. Uh, subscribe. All of those things uh, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. So for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of Mind on My Money podcast. Until next week, happy Thanksgiving. Take care. Thanks, man.